Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you this morning. Happy Monday, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Same here. Good. Feeling good. Spring day. So, I wonder how our president's doing. Do you think he slept in the White House last night? Or is he <laughs> still gambling? for a while. <laughs> but I understand he didn't come home directly. Is, did his schedule actually involve some meetings dealing with an incident up going on in Ukraine? Yeah. And what, he stopped in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. He stopped in Israel to make an important, important announcement. Uh, there was, they were going to spend some money. A little bit and more money. I don't know why that would have to be done in Israel. But, but anyway, we want to talk about, uh, you know, the hot spot of the world. One of the hot spots of the world. Sometimes the real hot spots don't come a, become available until there's a black swan. Yeah. And uh, somebody said, somebody wrote the other day, "What are you wait, What are you guys waiting for this black swan?" We see them almost every day. <laughs> you know, there's a new black swan yeah. that goes on. So, uh, but there's a policy going on, especially in, uh, in, in our administration, that's uh, not a whole lot different philosophically, but ineptness it seems to be running ripe there. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, it has to be bad. You know, you, you know, the measurement is, what's the liberal media saying? Are they, are they jumping up and down and screaming and hollering that Biden is being mistreated? No, they're sort of joining in. Yeah. They, they want to get on the right side of history. But uh, so, so Biden makes the trip, uh, you know, over, over the G7, and he's going to talk to them and talk about the war and straighten this out. And he, he had, uh, you know, I watched a bit of his speech and the speech, uh, you, you know, you could be tricked into believing, well, he's reading it pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, different than sometimes he, when he ad-libs. But he, he, didn't, he didn't disappoint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no at, at the end, uh, his handlers uh, lost control. And uh, he made a statement which has been all over the media yeah. and it has philosophical implication, political implication, and it's a, it's a real mess. But it might be the uh, number one uh, uh, statement in the whole thing. But he also, uh, he also mentioned, uh, he sort of slip of the tongue and said something with the troops. Maybe the troops would be moving out. Yeah. That was another one, you know. So, so you might listen hour after hour after hour and you're just waiting for a, a blurting out of the truth. Yeah. And it looks like there were a couple times in this trip where he actually blurted out the truth, but that's up to us to try to figure it out. Yeah, it was an amazing speech and you wrote about it, but here he is in Poland. He doesn't have Germany or France with him who've tried to be somewhat mitigating factors in this. They've tried to keep the lines of communication open. So he's with Poland, which is the most belligerent. Of course, Poland has its eyes on Galicia, which they used to control. They wouldn't mind getting a little chunk of land out of it. Um, but the most obnoxious, the most uh, warmongering is Poland. And here's Biden there, and he says, what does he say? My God, this man cannot remain in power. <laughs> you know, and it was, um, it was a shocking moment supposedly an unscripted moment, the, um, of course, his flax immediately started uh, saying, well, what he meant to say was, <laughs> and it reminds you, I mean, it's interesting, he said, basically the, the, the essence of the correction was, yeah, the president said it, 
But what he said doesn't reflect the policy of the United States. <laughs> He's just the president. Yeah. I mean, by de definition, yeah. and it reminds me of when Trump was on trial and they had <laughs> Vindman come up there and said, well, the president did want to change the policy on Ukraine, but the interagency consensus was not in favor of that. Yeah, you know, he didn't use the word regime change, but the interpretation there for everybody, he means regime change. Yeah, but clearly. then Blinken said, well, we don't, we don't deal in regime change. And I got to thinking, well, how did we ever get into this mess? A regime change, yeah. which we participated in, which wouldn't have happened with NATO, you know. And, of course, that was 2014, which is uh, st still becoming more significant than ever because that was people are starting to recognize, which I think is good. If they're recognizing, you know, al although seeds were planted along the way and attitudes, but uh, that, that to me, I think is important that they are looking at that and saying, you know, there was... Uh, something going on in 2014 that's led up to this but it still hasn't changed the perceptions by most of the people in this country because the, the media just like the building up for the war uh you know against iraq it was just so overwhelming and disappointing to see how many people but but what about that that frustration was still uh with us over over the COVID. Yeah. You know, how could these people switch over? How could these doctors who know better, yeah. why do they just roll over and play this game? So uh, the power of the media, the social met networks and all, it's really a shame. And uh, unfortunately, uh, they get away with it. So you don't have many, Greenwald will yeah. challenge them, but you don't, we don't have enough people, uh, you know, reaching a lot of people that would say, you know, what do you people say? You don't even believe in regime change. You're fearful there'll be a regime change. That's not our policy. We yeah. don't. We, that's not part of America. Yeah. Yeah, it's been around for a few years. And, uh, you know, like I've mentioned many times, it's one of those things that's very bipartisan. It is. But, you know, the response, you're right. It doesn't pass the laugh test. And let's put this up because this is Anthony Blinken, who's up to his eyeballs in regime change. Uh, he said, as you know, and as you've heard us say repeatedly, we do not have a strategy of regime change in Russia or anywhere else for that matter. And it just doesn't pass the laugh test. But of course, they also say that if you dare bring up 2014, then you actually are Putin's agent because you're not allowed to mention it. But, you know, the, I think a very good case could be made. And I think Greenwald in this piece that just came out makes it not specifically in this manner. But that the war, this war that we're seeing now, terrible and tragic as it is, was in fact started by the U.S. in 2014 with the regime change, putting in the government. And we heard Victoria Nuland picking down to the person, who do you want in government? We want this guy. Yats is the guy. Putting in a new government. Then you start with military training. Then you start with biolabs. And we'll talk about Hunter Biden <laughs> getting involved in the biolabs later on. You talk about Trump sending millions and millions of dollars in military equipment over there. You talk about shelling uh, the breakaway republics of Donbass for eight years, killing upwards of 14,000 people. Then you talk about the refusal to put off the table the discussion of NATO admission. And Greenwald, in his piece, makes a very good point. Putting all these things together that we're talking about, it was a de facto NATO membership for Ukraine. The way Ukraine was being treated by the West and the U.S. as a weapons depot, as a training depot on how to fight Russia. It was a de facto member of NATO. 
And all the while, the U.S. knew that that was a red line for Russia. And we have a, that video, I'm sure people have seen it, of, of Biden himself in 97 saying, if we even dare include the Baltics in NATO, we know that's going to lead to war with Russia. Uh, we did it anyway. Yeah, right. <clears throat> you know, uh, Green, Greenwald is good, and we read him, and he's very uh, good in defending the principles of non-intervention. But uh, th this one was a little firmer, I thought. The, yeah. I mean, I, I sort of hesitate to think because uh, I, I looked for so long being uh, threatened with a draft, being drafted, the height of the Cuban crisis and all this stuff. And, and uh, things settled down. So I sort of keep thinking, they'll always settle down. But uh, when I was reading his article, I got to thinking, well, maybe I'm too complacent. Of course, I'm involved in this whole business of trying to expose the truth with the hope that the American people wake up, understand what foreign policy is all about. And it takes a while. In a way, I think people have uh, uh, wakened up over this uh, COVID stuff so they can do it. But COVID, as bad as it was and as serious as it was, is nothing like this kind of thing that uh, that Glenn is talking about, Greenwald, you know, about uh, this is getting to be too careless. And uh, Zelensky, I mean, he, he's something else, too. Yeah. Well, Greenwald does uh, quote uh, a really well-received, uh, well-passed-around article by Niall Ferguson, the Oxford uh, uh, historian. And this is, I don't have a clip for this, but this is what, this is what Niall Ferguson wrote in Bloomberg last week. He said, Reading this carefully, I conclude that the U.S. intends to keep this war going. I have evidence from other sources to corroborate this. Quote, the only end game now, a senior administration official was heard to say at a private event earlier this month, is the end of the Putin regime. So this is meant to last a long time, and we have it in Biden's own words. I have a couple of clips from his speech in Warsaw. If we can put up that first one. Very, very clearly, this is the administration's position. In this battle, we need to be clear-eyed. The battle will not be won in days or months either. We need to steel ourselves for the long fight ahead. What does he mean by that? Let's go to the next one. Over the, <laughs> over the last 30 years, the forces of autocracy have revived all across the globe. Its hallmarks are familiar ones. Contempt for the rule of law contempt for democratic freedom, contempt for the truth itself. All three of those can be used to describe U.S. policy toward Ukraine in 2014. And let's do, let's do another one. Let's just go through some of these clips here. We'll put that next one up. And here's his admission of Ukraine being a de facto NATO member. Here's Biden. In the years before the invasion, we, America, had sent over $650 million in weapons to Ukraine, including anti-air and anti-armor equipment. Since the invasion, America has committed to another 1.35 billion, I would say, and counting, in weapons and ammunition. So very clear admission of the depth of U.S. involvement in pushing Ukraine for a war. And as Greenwald himself says, and quotes Ferguson, the intention of the administration is to have a long, long war, as you pointed out in a couple of weeks ago, fighting down to the last Ukrainian. <laughs> you know, it, it still goes back to who are these people that want the war? And uh, I poke fun at the fact that it's never the people who die. Not never, but, you know, yeah. the young men, women that go in and they either get drafted or pushed or they've been bamboozled into it. <clears throat> they, uh, 
they 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 don't get together. Two two factions like this get yeah. together. You know, a good old war. That's good for the ego. You know, that sort of thing. And uh, yet, yet there's always somebody for some angle, and they're they're a small minority, but they're very powerful, and they have control. In this country, they're frequently referred to as a deep state yeah. who has a lot of influence. Because most people, uh, you know, are uh, being hopeful that uh, Biden uh, can, you know, uh, can be restrained because they have uh, the advisors there. You know, when they're they're prepared, they watch what he's going to say too, as much as we watch yeah. him. And then, but boy, there is. How long does it take them to start changing the definition of what he just said? Within minutes, yeah, he yeah. didn't mean that. Yeah. So, so, and I think some people uh, rely on that. Figure, well, his handlers, there, there are at least a couple handlers there that might not want the war, but then there's going to be a lot of them who want the war, but just a modified war. They don't want anybody dying. Uh, they just want to sell weapons, and that's sort of what's going on here now. Because we've talked <clears throat> the American people into believing, uh, you know, that uh, our troops aren't going to be in there, our people aren't in danger, we're not going to have body bags, and, and they're going to be safe. At the same, at the same time, uh, most of them are for it. When it comes to like this $100 million they just passed, uh, the American people didn't say boo about that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's, I, I didn't see the vote on that, but I, I can guarantee that there were some Republicans helping Democrats get that thing passed. Might have been a voice vote for all I know. It's only a hundred million, Dr. Paul. I mean, when I voice voted, <laughs> pretty soon it's going to be a lot of money. Small change, <clears throat> but you know, Joe Loria, who we've had on this show before, he writes for Consortium News. He's the editor there. He has a very good piece up, and I would recommend reading it. But he makes an interesting point, an interesting observation, which is that twice. President Biden has denied that the purpose of sanction was to deter a Russian invasion into Ukraine. And that seems like a technicality, but as, as uh, Loria points it out, uh, he said it first on the 24th when Russia went, and he said sanctions were never designed to prevent the Russian invasion. <laughs> and then he said in Brussels, I did not say sanctions would deter Putin. And so Loria makes the point, and this goes along with what Greenwald is saying, what Niall Ferguson is saying, and what so many others are saying, that the sanctions are not designed to prevent the, the incursion, but they're designed to punish the Russian people to get them to rise up and kick Putin out of power. This is an old-fashioned regime change that the U.S. has attempted in places like Honduras, uh, over and over and over again in lots of parts of Central Europe. But this is not Central Europe. As someone pointed out when, the, you know, when this became obvious, so who's going to secure their nuclear weapons if there's a coup against Putin by his, you know, by the Russian people? I mean, this is not Honduras. This is a different situation. But I think it's really clearly emerging that this is the ultimate policy. Biden just let the cat out of the bag a little bit too clearly for, for comfort. You know, the oil is involved in this as well. You know, uh, the argument is... The uh, pipeline, which was a great idea that the uh, Russians and the Germans would depend on each other and it would be a good economic deal until uh, there were a few people that objected to it. And, and uh, the people in, in this country uh, that it were involved in, uh, in oil and gas, they wanted to sell it to them. So they're willing to close down our system or, or you know, really wreck our productive system here so we have shortages then we have the inflation 
<coughs> excuse me, we have the uh, inflation, and then uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the Russians say, we'll sell you oil, we'll sell you oil, but you have to pay in rubles. Yeah. And uh, all knows. So that was too, too much. The people didn't need it that bad. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an economic game, too. But, you know, that that is always there as well. You, you know, it's land and minerals. But in the Middle East, it was about oil. I mean, even having Afghanistan, precious metals and, and uh, rare earth and uh, oil and pipelines uh, by the big guys. And uh, we know, we who know who the leader is of the big guy, yeah, you know. The big guy. <laughs> and, his, and the big son. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. Why, that's the one that we have to watch, uh, dig into and find out what's going on with the big son. The funny thing about Germany is how they want it both ways. On the one hand, uh, they want to be in the gang with the U.S. And, and putting the screws in on Russia. On the other hand, they realize how dependent they are on Russian natural gas. And so when Putin said, hey, for all, for all hostile countries, you've got to pay in rubles, Germany said, hey, that's not fair. Our contract uh, didn't say that. You, you're, you're breaking the rules. To which the Russians said, well, when you seized our foreign assets and when you started putting sanctions on us, you broke the rules too. So, but speaking of a good rule breaker, here is our knight in shining armor, our Mother Teresa. Put up the next clip. <coughs> our Zelensky, he was a little bit mad over the weekend, Dr. Paul. He wasn't getting his planes. He wasn't getting his atom bombs. He wasn't getting what he wanted. Here's the Washington Post. Zelensky steps up criticism of the West, demanding weapons and sanctions. Give me more. And here he is in the speech. You can see it. Uh, the next clip. He just had a little ask, Dr. Paul. We asked for only 1% of all NATO aircraft and 1% of NATO tanks. 1%, 1%. Here's what he wants. And he says it with an, uh, an attitude of authority. Yeah. You know, like, it's ours. We deserve it. S send it to us. 1% is not all that much. This is, this is sort of like how Christians do it. You, you know, owe you us. share it, yeah. you know, back and forth. And that, that, is, that, that is utterly amazing, that attitude there. And besides, it's not like he uh, is pretending he's a member of NATO. He's acting like he's the vice chairman of, yeah. uh, of NATO. Yeah. Well, when are you going to send these things? Where's yeah. the, why is the bureaucracy holding this up? Yeah. So it's positively amazing. And, uh, and then we pretend... Oh, no, there's a limit. There's a limit. And yet we're so deeply involved in all of this. Uh, but we don't have the troops over there. So we're just we're just uh, we're we're just observers. And uh, of course, uh, we were a little bit more than an observer in 2014. Yeah. I think uh, we, there was there's evidence that we were very much involved in what was going on there. So we've already uh, been involved in a coup in, involving the Russian Ukraine uh, you know, conflict. I mean, Zelensky has a sense of entitlement as if you owe us this. How dare you not give it to us? When in reality, as many people have said, you know, Pat Buchanan and so many others, there's absolutely no national interest for the United States uh, between the borders of Ukraine and Russia. It has nothing to do with our national interest or national security. But here's Zelensky. He's getting unhinged. And I think even his biggest fans might be getting a little bit nervous that the actor is not sticking to his lines. Put this next one up. This is from the, I think from the Washington Post. He said, I've talked to the defenders of Mariupol today. Their determination, hero, heroism, and firmness are astonishing. If only those who have been thinking for 31 days on how to hand over dozens of jets and tanks just had 1% of their courage. In other words, NATO, you're a bunch of cowards. 
And in fact, he went even further. This is from the Daily Mail. Put the next one on. He went even further. He's furious. Hey, is NATO being run by Russia? <laughs> Angry President Zelensky calls on the West to have 1% of the courage of his soldiers. Um, he's not acting in a manner that's very appreciative of the hundreds and millions and billions that he's already gotten that have all been promptly blown up. And, and you know, human nature is such that you don't antagonize with words your enemy yeah. that may not be that anxious to come and, and uh, you know, increase the, uh, the, uh, the war going on. But uh, this, this thing of, of Zelensky saying, you know, that the Russians are scaredy cats. Yeah. You know, they, somebody in that group might wake up one day and say, "We're not scaredy cats, and we're going to we're going to take you on." Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, that's it's it's one of those things that um, that would give us good reason to understand and follow the rules of the founding fathers. And entangling alliances are not good ideas because they, they make a mess of things. Uh, they, 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 they confuse us, and yet we're in, entangling alliances, and what do we do? It costs a lot of money, but we can delay the payment, we can print up the money, and uh, besides, uh, we're great at uh, border control. Yeah. You know, we can create new borders, and we can divide it up, and we can, we can prevent the Russians from doing this, and we can do this and that, and you hear here at the same time, $100 billion, 100 billion is $100 million is nothing at all. We will spend it at the same time, uh, you, you know, a little bit more sensible security on our own borders. Uh, it doesn't happen. Matter of fact, it, it is ignored. It's made worse. And that's why the only way I can come around to understanding this stuff is a group of people. Part of that answer to the why do they do it? There, there are, are people who literally want chaos. And I believe that was the only explanation for some of the crazy stuff that went on with COVID and continues to go on. All the nonsense that they go in and, and it makes no sense, but it causes anger and people arguing within families and friends and neighborhoods, school districts. They can crash educational system. They can interfere with church attendance yeah. and all these things. And uh, the goal seems to be chaos, chaos, chaos. It has nothing to do with having the vaguest notion about what a free society ought to be like and how many advantages a, a country would have if they followed those uh, rules of, uh, of, you know, freedom of choice and allowing people to make their own decisions. And, uh, it, and it has proven that the freer a country is, the more prosperous it is. But the, the more of this stuff that goes on, the poorer the countries are going to be. To be and uh, nobody's going to get rich over this. I mean, a few people will. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few, but yeah, and that's the exception because my statement was going to oh, be, <laughs> you know, that there's uh, there's there's no victors, no, yeah. no 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 one side really wins. But it is the, is the people in behind the scenes, uh, the pe the people who end up uh, owning the very valuable. Uh, property or, uh, or or the control of the financial system but uh, there's a lot of people on both sides there's, there's no you know th this idea that there will be overwhelming victory uh, I mean even after World War II who who, who won you know of course I guess we did but we're still paying for it you yeah, know? yeah you know the suffering goes on and on 
Well, you know, th- we talked about this on the show at least a week or so ago, but there are many reasons that, the, that this weapons transfer that Zelensky is now demanding, not asking for, but demanding, hasn't gone through. And we heard it from the Pentagon itself back when the Pentagon scuttled the State Department plan to send MiGs over there. They said it's not going to change the outcome of the war. There's not <laughs> enough to change the outcome of the war. And, you know, our friend Larry Johnson, who spoke at some of our conferences, has pointed out that essentially there, there is no one to hand these weapons to. The militarily, the Ukrainian military has been defeated. It has no ability to control any air. Uh, it doesn't control any territory. It can't take a, a direction from Kiev because all the communications have been locked out. So there's no way of giving it to them. It won't make a difference. And what we've seen over and over is video after video of Russian forces going in and helping themselves to gazillions of abandoned NATO weapons. I'm sure NATO was not super thrilled with Russia just coming in. You know, like when we left Afghanistan, how many billions in weapons did we just leave there to go out on the world market, whatever? The same thing is happening in Ukraine. I think that suggests some of the hesitancy. I think some, there are some people in the Pentagon that are smart people, and I think they're realizing all of these factors make this just a non-starter. And the weapons in Libya ended up in yeah. some bad in Syria. Too. Yeah, it, it goes on. But but the people who manufacture them, they're not they too worried it. about that at all. <laughs> you know, it just continues and continues. So um, th- there's another favorite friend of our, I mean, uh, favorite ta- target. And deserves <laughs> he deserves a little bit more. Yeah, and that is uh, this. This is just couldn't happen. But. We'll talk about it to see if there is a possibility. Hunter Biden helped secure funds for U.S. biolab contractor in Ukraine emails. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call Rand. Yeah. I'm going to ask him. He, he's probably up on that. Yes. So find out, is this really What's good? going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it is. I've, there's, there's always an angle on some of this stuff. Well, it does also make you wonder why this administration is so obsessed with Ukraine. Maybe it's because there are so many crimes committed there. This is a New York Post story, and it was reporting on a, uh, on a Daily Mail that I have a clip from, too. But put this next one up. This is a New York Post talking about how Hunter Biden helped secure funds for U.S. biolab contractor in Ukraine. And do the next one. This is Metabiota exclusive, Daily Mail. Hunter Biden did help secure millions in funding. So while his father was the vice president, and don't forget, uh, Joe Biden appointed himself, self-appointed, he is the point man on Ukraine policy. While this was the case, his son was going and setting up deals uh, to get all of these bio labs in Ukraine. Uh, They were dealing with deadly pathogens. This next one is a uh, clip, I think, from 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 the Post article. Uh, the Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners invested $500,000 in the San Francisco pathogen research company Metabiota and raised millions more through firms that included Goldman Sachs. According to the emails found on the computer, that's the one that Hunter Biden left in the repair shop. He forgot he sent it there because he was too high on drugs. Hunter introduced Metabiota to officials in Burisma, the Ukrainian gas company, where he was a board member. Remember, that's Dr. Paul where he was making $83,000 a month. He introduced these two and for a science project involving biolabs. Uh, so, and then a memo from the Metabiota official to the then vice president's son, and he adds a, comp- a political component. He said that the company could, quote, assert UK- Ukraine's cultural and economic independence from Russia. So there's something in it for everyone. 
These partners are going to make a bunch of money putting up these really dangerous biolabs in Ukraine, and it's also going to help separate bio, uh, Ukraine from, from Russia. You know, Hunter's been described as the smartest man that Biden, Joe Biden has ever met. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe he deserves some credit on here. He says because um, maybe success means the accumulation of stolen money. Yeah. You know, they're very successful, you know, and, and they financially have been very successful. And they're never touched. They're yeah. never touched. Uh, they, they, no, no, nobody would suggest they're criminals. But uh, You almost have to have a little bit of admiration <laughs> for, for Hunter Biden. Whatever you say about him, he's no slacker. Here he is. He's high on narcotics all the time making these horrific videos we won't even talk about. His personal life is atrocious, but he still has the time to hold down an $83,000 a month job, to hook up millions of dollars in biolabs and bioweapons and pathogen research in Ukraine. This guy never sleeps. Well, maybe he's Van Gogh. Yeah. <laughs> maybe his, his uh, artist, his artwork. Oh, that's right. He's an artist, too. I he's an artist. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant artist. That's a secret, though. Yeah. But they do sell. There's no doubt about it. He still gets a lot of money for them. Yeah, he does. Well, I'll just close out by saying uh, it's an unfolding tragedy, uh, this ongoing war. Uh, we do think, I do think, certainly that President Biden could end it in a day or two if he would call Zelensky and say, look, here's what we need to do. Uh, unfortunately, that is not what the administration wants to do. As we've pointed out, citing Greenwald, Joe Loria, uh, now Ferguson, and many others, uh, this is not what they want. They want a long, protracted war because, as Biden himself said before he was corrected, the goal is regime change for Russia. It's an incredibly foolish, foolhardy, dangerous, potentially world-ending foreign policy goal. But, you know, <laughs> for whom the gods destroy, they first make crazy and insane. And this is what's happening to our U.S. foreign policy establishment. Uh, they're drunk on their own juice. Uh, it's very dangerous. And let's hope that when the smoke clears, some cooler heads prevail. Very good. You know, the uh, whole issue of regime change is serious, and there's been a lot of talk about it because it's so much off the wall, and yet it goes on. Like we pointed out, we were very much involved in, in leading the coup in 2014. And for him to say this as an off-the-cuff uh, uh, statement, it is pretty darn serious because it's in his mind. They say, yeah, well, I keep thinking, even myself, I hear, well, he'll have him or somebody will slow him down. They'll keep him from doing such insanities. But no, it's still dangerous because he, uh, he might wake up in the middle of the night and do something that uh, his handlers uh, slept through or something. Yeah. <laughs> then we're in, in trouble. But he said something else the other day, and we have mentioned it, uh, but I think is uh, pretty significant too. Uh, it's not quite up to the par of regime change, but it was this idea that when he was talking to the troops in Poland, <laughs> he implied, yeah, you'll, you'll be going to Ukraine pretty soon. And now that, that to me, I think is, is a big deal. And that's American troops who, that could end up down there. That would change the ball game because we're hiding behind the fact that we're not really engaged in this and we're not going to have a single American die from this. Well, that's the way it started. As a matter of fact, uh, ironically, it was started uh, in Vietnam under a Republican and uh, a person that was held in very high esteem, Eisenhower. He says, well, we, ne we need to secure uh, Vietnam against the communists coming. There's a, you know, uh, a movement of communism throughout the world. So he, uh, he sent in the advisors. No troops, no troops. But guess what happened? 
you know, incrementally went up. 60,000 Americans died. That's why I say that people who say this program is pretty good, it's 90% effective, 10% is bad, but we can handle that, we can guide on that. I say if a, if a system has, whether it's a domestic uh, economic system or a welfare system or an intervention overseas, this is just a little bit. We're just going to head advise. We're going to use sanctions. A lot of progressives annoyed me to no end when I was in Congress because uh, they were for sanctions. Oh, that's not fighting a war. No, it's all fighting a war. If, if uh, they, and my analogy has always been, what if they do it to us? That's a good litmus test. It's been around for a couple of years, that test. And uh, yet, no, they don't say, a little bit. It won't hurt. We can control it, it incrementally. I think that's the way they started the income tax. You know, just a little income tax. And then look at what that's turned into. Total control of everything we do financially. And uh, that, that to me uh, tells us that uh, you should watch out for incrementalism and look and aim for the goal of 100% in what you're trying to do. If you're trying to promote a market phenomenon, don't say, well, to get this passed, uh, we'll concede such and such. That's how the, the uh, budgets are passed. So somebody wants 100 billion, and uh, so they offer 100, they introduce 125, and then the opposition comes out, oh, that's way too much, and then they settle for 97. They say, oh, we're working together. It's bipartisan now. And uh, yet it's exactly back to it. So that is the type of compromise that I don't think works very well. And it also invites a bipartisanship, which is exactly opposite of what liberty should be all about. And the best way we can achieve this is have a government much, much smaller, having a less responsibility, philosophically reject the notion of the welfare state, philosophically reject the notion of foreign interventionism, and accept the fact that we should stay out of entangling alliance. The world would be better off, we would be better off, and you know what? Uh, we might be able to set some standards that would protect our security here and maybe deal with the uh, growing problem that we have in our own country, which gets ignored as far as our borders are concerned, because we have to solve the problem of the borders between Ukraine and Russia. I mean, that's our number one obligation. And I think uh, we've lost our way if we accept uh, that type of a principle. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.